All right, let's do it. All right. Hold on. Hello. I got a big piece well, of ice in my mouth that I need to chew. <laughs> Welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, episode 50. In this episode, we are talking about Fifty Shades of Grey by E.L. James. I'm Ryan, and with me is my good buddy, fellow host, Jacob. Yes, hello and welcome to the Better the Bookshelf podcast, our little book club, book cult, book something or other, episode 50. Man, I'm glad I got through that one. That was that was that was a rough going, surprisingly, <laughs> or unsurprisingly. I don't know. I feel like all this quarantine, all this time inside from the coronavirus is just slowly melting my Got brain. Got a little brain rot? Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it's the lack of fresh air. I mean, I still, like, you know, poke my head outside. I'm not entirely in court. I got to go to, you know, I have to brave the brave the masses at Walmart or Kroger or the yeah. like. But I don't know. I think I'm just slowly getting more stupid each day. Uh, and, I, you know, I'd like to attribute that entirely to a coronavirus quarantine, but I'm honestly not sure. Yeah, I get it. I feel. Uh, I don't think I can be sure. I feel like my my day to day hasn't changed that much, but um, I feel a little more like sluggish, just not being able to go out and do random stuff. But see, for you, for you, it's different because you work from home, yeah, right? Yeah. So it was like you're you're like I was optionally quarantined. Now that it's like you're mandated, you kind of feel it's kind of like, well, this isn't fun. Like this is it was fun when I got to do it because I was cool. Right, right. But now everybody's doing it, so it's like, eh, it's just not even fun. Yep. Way off topic here, man. Yes. But hello, how's everybody doing today? Episode nobody can 50, answer that question. Nifty fifty. We've got nobody can't answer that question because this isn't an interactive, you know, they speak and <laughs> respond type podcast. But I'm curious. Uh, you know, I think that obviously this the shelter in place orders, and yeah, I'm I I'm in the camp that the coronavirus is going to be something that kind of drags on for months and months potentially. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm not one of those, eh, you know, and, you know, by July, everything will be back to normal, something like that. I think it's going to drag on. So I'm curious to see the just exactly how much I lose my mind between now and then and the the dip, I'm sure, in quality that will be associated with that via the podcast or maybe an, in, an uptick in quality, depending on what you what you join us for. I mean, maybe you're just wanting a, a look into the minds of someone slowly succumbing to madness yep. uh, through literary means over the course of a few months. And if that's the case, then, you know, stay tuned. Maybe that'll happen. But, oh, this is going to be an interesting episode, I think. This is going to be – I don't want to say this is a throwaway episode because that's no. not fair. We, we have a book, and we're going to talk about it. But, I mean f- – the reason why I picked this book, obviously, is because it's the it's the fiftieth episode. This is a pretty milestone episode. Yeah. There's no other time at all in the podcast that we could ever really justify reading Fifty Shades of Grey if it weren't for the fiftieth episode. So I just pulled the trigger on it. So this is going to be a fun episode. It's going to be a pretty traditional episode, I guess. We'll tell you a little bit about the author. I'll try to give you a brief summary. We'll get into the book. You have some things to say. Have. S- you have some things outside of maybe just the book that we'll yeah. talk about. And, uh, yeah, you know, depending on how long that's going to take. Who Dude, we're going to talk about Tiger King. It's going to take all the time we want it to take. Okay. We may just have we may just have like a limerick battle yeah. at the end or something. I don't know. This could go completely off the rails. Uh, but then we'll get, obviously, to our three-tier patented three-tier four if we're getting rid of it. 
five if we're you know locking it in chains and spanking it for being a very naughty book. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, I was waiting on that. I didn't have to put that one up in a notepad document. That was right <laughs> off the bat. Um, and then, of course, we'll tell you what we've got coming up on future episodes. Yeah. Uh, so if you haven't read the book, uh, go read the book because it's weird to listen to a book club podcast about a book you haven't Here- read. Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, yeah, I feel that's I feel you telling people to go read the book though is a little bit hypocritical. Uh, uh, well, I was I was maybe I should amend this and say go try to read the book and then come back and listen to our podcast okay. whether you can fair. or can't. Fair? Big fair. All right. All right. All right, let's uh let's talk about E.L. James. One Erica Leonard. Uh E.L. James is is her pen name. She is British. She was born in uh, 1963, and uh, she did write Fifty Shades of Grey along with Fifty Shades Darker and Fifty Shades Free. Oh, and also Grey, Fifty Shades of Grey as told by Christian, and Darker, Fifty Shades Darker as told by Christian. And prior to this, uh, she is renowned for her Twilight fan fiction, uh, Master of the Universe, that served apparently is the basis for this entire trilogy. Uh, and she did that under the uh, web pen name of Snow Queen's Ice Dragon. Uh, so yes. is it so is it is this like the, the Hitchhiker's Guy trilogy where it's like really five books, but it's a trilogy uh, because we're getting it from Christian's side. I guess I have no, I did not know that those ex- I knew the three existed. I didn't know there was yeah. like a, an alternate retelling yeah. or totally not like a cash yeah yeah no, no. so we'll, we'll uh, save commentary around that because i have i have thoughts and feelings okay. we'll we'll get into later That's uh fair. we'll keep it yeah so the 50 shades novels have sold over 125 million copies uh worldwide hey you know what el james good yeah. on you good on uh, you. in 2012 you, you... uh time magazine named her one of the world's 100 most influential people uh, obviously okay. they, uh, they made movies out of, uh, out of these books and, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I've got to say. I mean, she's got some awards. Um, she got a national book award from the UK for popular fiction book of the year for 50 shades of gray. Uh, and, and that was in 2012 and she won, uh, the national book award for just straight up book of the year, uh, in the UK as well. Wow, that is uh, yeah. surprising. But yeah. wow. So uh, that's all we'll say for now. I think we'll get into into her background a little bit. Talk a little bit about fanfic and uh, just kind of generally impressions as a as a writer. Uh, but you, sir, have the have the task of uh, trying to summarize this book. I I mean I don't know where to begin. Girl meets boy. A boy makes girl sign NDA. Gives girl laptop. Greatest amazing gift ever. Have you know weird? Uh, apparently not authentic portrayals of BDSM. And then you know at the end they realize it's or she realizes it's too much. TBD to be continued. Yeah. Hanging little hanging hanging in there. Um, where do we, where do we want to begin with this? Uh, because I think, I think you should uh, issue a disclaimer. I, there's no disclaimer. I will, uh, I will claim it proudly. I didn't read more than two chapters of this book before I stopped reading. 
Yeah, I just feel I feel like we've had we've had some slogs on this on this podcast before. We've had some notable slogs. One that immediately comes to mind for me is Kraken. Sure. Yep. Um, Beloved was kind of another slog, although I'll be yeah. Um, but we've had we've had quite a bit of slogs on this on this show that we've managed to you know push through. I guess I would say Savage Detectives, but you kind of skipped around on that. I one did too. that one. That one was a struggle. So you're telling me you couldn't make it through two chapters? Um, couldn't and wouldn't are two different two things. I I refused okay. to go further. And why? Um, I mean, what was it? What was it exactly? I mean, because here's here's the deal. I feel like you. You know, you came mm-hmm. into this obviously with expect expectations. So I don't think yeah, you yeah. low I, I don't think you could have come in with any lower expectations. So it wasn't necessarily surprising anything that you mm-hmm. encountered within the first two chapters. No, not at all. And and I'd read like bits and pieces of of this before just out of like curiosity when it was popular, just to see like, you know, what was going on. But at the, at those points I was reading like the sex scenes, right? So like it was the things that were like, the yeah, the stuff. things that were like, yeah. you know, were controversial, if you will. Um, not like, you know, just like big excerpts of like normal exposition or, you know, dialogue or, or whatever. Right. So. Yeah, I. There have been a few books that I've come into into the podcast with, you know, or I should say with going into reading that I already had an idea of how I was going to feel about it. My approach okay. to this one, I knew that I wasn't going to like it. I knew it was I wasn't going to appreciate it. Um, but I was like all in, in the sense that like, I need to sit down and like really try to understand like what the hell the like sort of flash in the pan was in 2012. What the this. appeal. Yeah. And so yeah. it was sort of like that, like sort of morbid curiosity in, in a sense. Um, going into it and i and i was i was genuinely committed to to getting through no matter the the pain to myself in doing so to have that that experience but man i got to i got to tell you like within the first few sentences it is disgustingly apparent how poorly written this book is both from a like just a capability standpoint and from just a like a conceptual standpoint, I mean, in the first chapter, she is like throwing these like weird tropes on on top of uh, her characters. The dialogue is clunky and unrealistic. The inner monologue is just awful. I mean, and and then you have this this sort of like the interview, okay. Her roommate is sick, has been working for a long time to get an interview with a billionaire, and then just sends her seemingly unqualified roommate to just go stand in. Pass. No fucking person has a problem with that, including the billionaire. Just like, you go yeah. do it. You 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 don't know any background here. You have no semblance of, you know, a working relationship with what needs to go on here, but you go do it because I'm not It is good. just... I, I couldn't I couldn't get past that. And and here's the thing, man. The setup of a novel is so important. The the there there have been books written on the artistic quality of drawing somebody into into a work. Sure. This this is just it's childish and it is amateurish and it is just plain bad. I mean no talent bad. It is 
the worst thing that I have ever seen published well by by a major right. by a major publisher. It is all right. awful. I get, okay, well I guess you added the caveat there at the end published by a major publisher cuz I'll tell you this. One of my cuz see the writing didn't really bother me all that much for two, for two reasons. One, okay. I didn't read it. Uh, I listened to it on audiobook, which fair enough. I've got I've got some tidbits about that because man, okay, that was that was uh, that was. Did you get like sultry voices and stuff? It was it was I you know there were times I felt uncomfortable like I had to listen to it with headphones on. I was just like I don't want to listen to this with Sarah Michael around. It's just it's too much. I'm just gonna listen to it awkwardly on headphones while I'm like sitting on the couch. Yeah, watching watching episodes of uh, what were we watching like. Shit's Creek or Superstore, so I don't know, whatever, <laughs> whatever. sitcoms, because it's quarantine. Yeah, you got to make yeah, it. Yeah. But um, in a previous life, I used to have a little hobby of mine where it was uh, Amazon Creative Exchange, ACX, I believe, was what it was called, where yep. you had, it was basically uh, writers or publishers would go on there seeking people to do audiobook versions for uh, works that they'd that they had put out and about 90% of these, uh, that's probably even low, maybe even 95, 96% of these were all self published, right? So this is all just stuff that people wrote. They paid, you know, whatever uh, fees that they had to, to get it published out without really a lot of oversight or editing or anything like that. Um, And so one of the things that I did in all seriousness was I would go in and look at all these different books and read their voice samples and read. And some of them, uh, instead of just having like a specific sample that they wanted the the potential voice actor to read, they would just link the whole book. They would just link like a PDF <laughs> version of the book. And I'm like, man, that's dumb. Why would I buy your book? If you're just going to give me like a, like a whole PDF for at least like, you know, the first six chapters so I could know. And let me tell you, some of those were uh, really, really bad. Uh, just, yeah. well, not some, most of them were very, very bad. There were some diamonds in the rough, but it, it was, I feel like it prepared me uniquely for this because uh, I would also wager to say about 70% of it was romance or erotic fiction. So I don't know. I, I I felt like the writing in this and, you know, maybe that's just compared to uh, peers or what I consider peers because I, I neither of us have a really big background in reading romance or erotic fiction or anything like that. So, yeah. I, I'm, you know, I'm hard pressed to find in my mind examples of that genre done well, or at least done cleverly sure, with dialogue sure. was set up and things like that. So my mind, anytime I'm reading this and I get to points, like you said, where it's just like, oh man, this writing is a little, like I'm listening and I'm just like, oh, this is kind of a little juvenile. All the whole time I'm thinking like, eh, it's not as, it's not as bad as like gay T-Rex uh, attorney. Or, you know, some other nonsensical book that I read on ACX. So um, I feel like I feel like that's maybe unfair because I'm I'm positive something out there that has been pushed by a major publisher is, is sure, worse than this. Sure. I nothing immediately comes to mind, but I feel like it's easy to pick on the writing because it is not great. Um, but again, I think some of this might just be because I did it through the audiobook. I think it. It yeah. served its purpose adequately enough to, like, get me to trudge through this whole thing. So the fact that that – I mean, I guess that's a positive. I'll give that a yeah. thumbs up that it, it wasn't so – because, you know, again, part of this, too, is we kind of came into this tainted with preconceptions. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey has kind of been a 
cultural thing for nine yeah. years now, eight years now, something like that. So you already kind of have preconceived notions. We already basically knew what it's about. Right, right. Sort of secondhand or movie or, you know, all this word of mouth or, oh, man, look at this. Look at this writing. Isn't this the worst writing ever? You know, I've seen that on some things before. And so you kind of <laughs> go in with these really, really low expectations. And I'm not going to lie. I didn't think it was the worst thing in the world, uh, which which actually surprised me somewhat. Yeah. But I can understand um, that barrier from a like actually having the book physically and looking and reading it and just like piecing it together because I didn't have to do that. I didn't have to activate yeah. the one or seven voices in my mind because that would have been tough. Um, I just had to listen to another voice guide me through the story and you know, I guess that was adequate enough. So my initial, yeah. I guess, recommendation is if you feel super compelled to read this book, just get it on audiobook. Easy. That's probably probably a good middle ground. I I guess when when I look at something like this, I, I look at like the larger like economy of, of publishing, right? So you had a major publisher that that put this book out there ahead of God knows what. Right. Like I, I can't blame E.L. James for for writing this book. Right. Um, she did whatever she felt like, you know, she was into and did it to the best of her capability. No knock on that. There are plenty of writers out there, myself probably included, that, you know, will will write their entire careers or throughout their lives and, you know, probably never get something published. Right. But when you have a major publishing company that puts their resources behind a project that is so ill-conceived and amateurish it's just it's such a gross like waste of of resources you've got marketing materials that that you have to put into this you know you've got publishers and and agents and all these other people that are spending their time peddling this this thing. And now granted, from an economic standpoint, this thing did extremely well. I think I saw it did like $95 million or something. And at the it's end insane. of the day, that's all the pub that's all the publisher gives a shit about. No, th that is. is and, and am I going to publish this? Is this is this going to have an audience? Is this going to is this going to find someone who's going to want to buy it and read it and recommend it to their yep. friends and maybe buy another one? And in that sense, hey, you know, that's what happened. Well, but uh, I, w I always think like chicken and egg, right? Like if if you take something uh, bad and and sell it hard enough, can you make that thing you know a, a viable product? And I think in this case, yes. I think that there was enough marketing and enough hype around it that it became sort of a you know self perpetuating machine in a, in a sense. And you know, I I guess I just lament how many uh, how many other writers have to you know, go unpublished or, you know, go with uh, potentially, you know, smaller publishers at the detriment of, you know, getting their stuff out there. And you can you can argue whether or not, you know, it's it's worth going, you know, going through a big publisher or an independent publisher or whatever, you know, and, and does it matter that you sell copies or whatever. But it's just it, it, it baffles me that that somebody saw this thing and said, we're going to throw our full weight behind this and turn this into the phenomenon that it became. And is it a feat? Is it a feat of of marketing and economics, or is it a feat of of writing? I think it's I think it's a feat of just creating something that takes on such a cult of personality that you you really like. It, it, there's no way you can lose, right? Yeah. The people that the people that 
want to hate it and hear bad things about it will buy it just to read it to trash it or to go see the movies to trash it. The people that read it because they're interested in it or they, they're like, oh, I love this. They buy it and read it because they want to. And then there's the whole middle ground of people that even if you never – even if you never buy it or read it or anything like that, you're so aware of it that mm-hmm. it, it it kind of you you tend to influence others just because it becomes such a like culturally uh, significant thing. And at the end of the day, I don't know. I think that's like, am I am I going to put this up there in the you know the halls of human recorded you know oh here's our great works? No, obviously not. And but at the same time, I don't think the responsibility of publishers and every book that gets published is to have, you know, all right, well, what is the, you know, from the the highest intellectual point, what can we put out that's going to be the most like life affirming and, and positive or the most like actual, like, wow, legitimate yep. skill and tech. I don't think that that's necessarily something that is, should be, you know, kind of made for people. I don't think decisions like that. So you know, at the end so, of the day, it's it's it is unfortunate because you know I'm sure there are it, it's unfortunate separate from the fact that this book got published and has been successful. It's yeah, unfortunate yeah. that there are people out there that are great writers that I'm sure create great works that go um, relatively unnoticed or they have a really hard time of getting it published or, or just you know in general a lot of barriers in the way of that. Right. Um, but that that doesn't mean that I think that it's like well. Imagine if all the resources from this book could have been spent on, you know, one, two, three, four, five, whatever products, then how much better would off would be? I mean, at the end of the day, this book struck a chord. I mean, it hit a pulse. And there is something there is something to be said about a book that's so I feel like now, you know, eight years. I, I mean, I feel like even at the time, basically from the get go. I feel like there was more negative there were more negative voices about this book publicly yep. than there were positive ones. So from the get-go, you kind of have like the deck stacked against you in terms of like negative feedback and just negative word of mouth. And yet it still has just been this amazingly incredibly successful thing that it, it in a way you kind of have to like take your hat off to to this whole situation and say, Hey, you know, you you made hay while while the sun was out and somehow, you know, you've managed to turn something that's so polarizing or that's so almost universally panned into such a economic and and literary success it's crazy like it's yeah i feel like that's that's the that's the lasting impact of this book and that 50 years from now people and i'm 50 i guess is just a number that's <laughs> in my head 50 years from now people will still know this book and i'm sure this book will still be you know it'll be oh yeah that was that weird book that like, grandma really loved back in the day yeah. she went to those movies and to me that is just for something so universally panned to be that yeah culturally iconic and culturally successful is amazing it truly is this is this is one of the most surprising success stories in any form of like artistic medium that i've ever seen and it's crazy yeah it's it's insane so like first of all i i think you hit so many good points throughout that that whole thing i I got to thinking what do you think that, that the publisher saw in this that they thought it was going to be successful like what element of this book do you think jumped out at whomever it was or what what selling point did her literary agent 
like I don't even know if she had one at that point uh, because she self-published before she got uh, with with the publisher. But like, wh- what do you th- what can you latch onto here and say like this is revolutionary or this is going to be popular uh, or the why maybe behind just the entirety? I think I mean if you look at uh, obviously romance, I guess as a genre is pretty prevalent. But I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's really mainstream. Like, you know, you don't really a romance or especially erotic fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's out there. I'm sure it's incredibly prolific. But, you know, I don't know anything about it. I, I, I It's not pretty. I wouldn't say it's pretty mainstream. Right. So I think I, I feel like the the idea in any type of artistic medium. Right. Is to try to be a trendsetter or to try to catch a wave that maybe hasn't really like got there yet you know it's kind of it's just forming and you want to be at the forefront of that you don't want to be caught up in the wave after it's too late you know i remember i guess an easy comparison with this is god 10 years ago when zombies were like everywhere or or they were just starting out and then like you know 2015 it's like oh my god zombies are everywhere every show every movie everything and you know you just kind of get over inundated and the wave crashes and you're over it well I, you know, I could only guess as a publishing company, maybe it's this like, wow, hmm. So you kind of have this like erotic thing, but it can kind of play into mainstream because it's not as explicit, I'm guessing, as like true blue erotic fiction. You know, it's still pretty, for all it's, you know, oh, wow, this erotic fiction, it was pretty PG. I mean, let's get real. Like, it, it really wasn't like explicit or like, I didn't have to go like, ooh, my goodness, I have to stop and cool off from how how ooh, you know how much this is making me feel so i don't know if it was some combination of that or maybe just the like hey you know you sell it as the background of we have this we have this sort of wave of people you know the people that enjoyed twilight this kind of started as a twilight fan fiction you already kind of have here's here's a baked in audience you know here's something to add on top of that to maybe add some fuel to the fire to decide that hell maybe they just were like you know what I'm feeling I'm feeling crazy today. Let's publish this book. Who knows? I have no idea, but yeah. it's, you know, it happened and it's it's insane. Yeah, I, there's there's a really uh interesting article on uh on Medium kind of about how this this whole thing, you know, got started. And it really was just somebody like, you know, m- making a reference to this, you know, self-published work. Somebody else went to look for it. Uh, found out that it, you know, wasn't in like the Barnes and Noble system and, you know, it just kind of all just trickled from there. But if you want to read the article, it was published in, uh, in I think 2017 um, and it's called Fifty Shades of Grey, The Viral Myth and the Truth About How Things Get Popular. And they kind of interweave uh, a couple different like things just about like the viral nature of uh, like social media and Twitter and, and some other things. And it's kind of interesting to juxtapose that against you know, how this, how this book kind of, kind of took off. But so, I mean, if you get away from then, like how did the publisher, you know, come to this? Like, why, why do you think it got so popular with people? Like, I think definitely there, we should exclude the, you know, sort of, I heard this was really terrible and I can't believe somebody would publish this. So I have to find out for myself how bad it really is. Cause I feel like in my gut, that was a, decent percentage of oh i, who I imagine that's probably half of it i, but I like, feel like half would be a reasonable amount to assume that but like my grandmother was a voracious reader of romance novels when she passed away uh i had a i had a bin 
from like her back closet of of novels that she had finished and ah uh, there must have been a hundred of them in there i mean she probably finished two a week easily and if you took her to any uh like grocery store or like just a small like barnes and noble or something and took her to the romance section i guarantee that she has read almost every single one of those. She has read like that, or she read like that her entire life. And I remember when this came out, um, she got the movie um, for either her birthday or Christmas one year, and she didn't know how to work the DVD player. Um, So I came over there on a Sunday to do some work, and she was like, hey, um, don't tell anybody, but can you put the dvd in the in the machine turn the tv on and i'm just gonna play this after everybody goes and it was like she was committing a crime and (laughs) i mean she would carry you know those romance novels around everywhere and she always kind of had this dust jacket that she'd put over you know all of them uh she was never very like bashful about any of that and she was not a prude in in most you know general senses we think of our grandmothers but uh i thought that was that was so funny and and i uh, spent my I, obviously she's not around. I can't ask her. I've spent the last few days trying to think like, what is it that she like was so interested in? Cause she wasn't, she definitely wasn't of the, like, this is so bad. I've got to check it out. Kind of hype. Um, like maybe there was some like repressed sexual desire there. Uh, and that's feels like such a weird thing to say about my grandmother, but I assume Go that, I, <laughs> I assume that the, like that is probably a compelling uh, reason for anybody, right? Like, if porn sure. is a book, is it really porn? I guess that's fair. Uh, um, you know, so there's there's that whole argument, I guess. I feel like culture here in the U.S. I I don't know the the full extent of like Western when it when it goes to European countries. I know definitely here uh-huh. in the U.S. We're very we are a lot more culturally like sexually repressed as far as like yes. the um depictions in our like art art forms and media and stuff like that compared to uh like for example like far east asian countries or even obviously like european countries i wonder how much of that success you know versus i i have no idea how this book did internationally and it wouldn't surprise me if it was considerably worse because of that because you kind of have i mean like you said with with your grandma more of like that somewhat sexually repressed you know Ooh, yeah well, this is this is kind of like a raw depiction you know this is this is fun and interesting and you don't really get this in mainstream all that often yeah i mean you have like i guess then sort of the fantasy of of wealth right which like we all have right everybody goes and at least thinks about buying a, a lottery ticket every time you know powerball hits you know a billion dollars nine, something right? like that yeah, yeah. You know, everybody everybody starts getting getting interested at that point. Um, like, who hasn't thought about what it's like to be to be wealthy, and if you could get in a, a relationship with somebody who's who's wealthy? But I mean, you can't you, you can't separate the subject from the actual sex, which is you know, it's got to be the most compelling reason to to read this, right? So, like, what did obviously I didn't get that far. I read the excerpts in the past. What did what were your impressions of? just how sex was handled. I mean, I guess I'm just a, a, a 
cultural pervert or something. I felt like it was pretty tame. I mean, the the biggest thing going in was obviously the whole, you know, how does it depict BDSM, right? Or just like dominant and submissive type relationships, right? Mm -hmm. And it played very heavily on the like, uh, I guess, usage of like toys and, and just kind of like the the borderline of like pain versus pleasure and less about the actual kind of uh, dominant submissive relationship. It was very kind of dysfunctional and it was, he was just, I don't know. There was nothing about it that really struck me as like um, an interesting situation that anyone would ever want to get themselves in. Like, you know, yeah, I'm sure like obviously any type of, and I know we're kind of getting off the rails here, but any type of like subset of, you know, different sort of sexual practices or things that people, I guess, share with each other, like like fetishes, I guess, or things like that. Is you know, I bring it up on our book podcast, but um, like, there's sure. an element, there's an element of like, okay, I understand how people would would be into that. And now, there's obviously there's some fetishes that it's just like I have no clue in the world how people could be into that, but <laughs> it's their thing. You know, that's cool. Yeah, they do yeah. it. And so, you know, kind of coming in with this idea of like, okay, like, uh, how would this be appealing to people? It was just very much the whole the whole thing just felt it just it just wasn't real. There was nothing about it in any way, shape, or form that even remotely struck me as something like tangibly plausible. And that's you know, in yeah. your you know, and you're obviously, and I guess in this in this line of literature, if I could call mm-hmm. it that. No, uh, erotic fiction. Yeah, there um, you go. You want to mix sort of the the plausible with the implausible, right? Because it's fantasy. Sure. You're you're playing yeah. on kind of the extremes of people's desires and things like that. So I understand it, but it just it there was no. I never felt in any way, shape, or form that there was this any real like appeal or connection between our between Anna and Christian. It was just kind mm-hmm. of like a. It was like, oh well, I'm just this. You know, oh, I'm I'm just this kind of like closeted, like I don't, you know, I'm kind of like I'm a virgin and I haven't really experienced much. Oh, and he like gets her a laptop and it's like the great. She's like, I've never used a laptop, or and it's you know, it's the middle of 2011, so we have this kind yeah. of like weird, like weird character to begin with. That's I guess we're supposed to be kind of like. I guess we as the reader are supposed to kind of self-insert. And it's like, oh, this dreamy, yeah. you know, like he's very, he's like stoic and he's kind of like closed off and he's super rich and he's super like handsome and clean and all these other things. And he's very mm-hmm. attentive and it's in no way, shape or form. Do you actually like, I don't know. It just, it, it does a really poor job of, I trust me. I tried so hard, right. To self-insert as weird as that would have been, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I have so many comments that I can't yeah, say I know. aloud right now. I know. Yeah, there's that's that's I as I said that I realized it's a very uh, that's like a triple entendre. But yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't get it. I it, it was yeah. never. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't. It wasn't super explicit. Where it's like you're like, wow, yeah, this could appeal to like really to the like the people that are good at like visualization and really visceral into that. It didn't really. It didn't really have anything interesting into the people that's like, oh, this sounds like fun. I'm going to go try this with Pete later or something, right? Like, yeah. even though apparently that was a big thing that happened after this book was you had like a 400% increase in like sex toy related injuries that occurred like within uh, a year and a half span after the publishing of this book that I wouldn't say is directly attributed to it, but I'm sure it, I'm sure it made waves for that, but yeah, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It was just it was I don't, it was just very odd. In no way was it something that I was even doing my best impression of like an impressionable, you know, I'm like it's me. I'm on. I'm just kind of going to throw myself in no way was I like, "Oh man, yeah, this is great." It was it was just very I mean, it was tame. It was it was you know, been there, seen that, done that, heard that, you know, I guess that's just a product of us being the internet generation, but Yeah, yeah. But also, like, did it feel to you um, like that maybe E.L. James didn't have an idea of what she was actually writing about? Because I I watched some snippets of of interviews and it sounded like from from those interviews that she had never really participated in any like S&M or BDS SM like so. Yeah, it felt like. Like if I were, if I were, obviously I'm not a very, I'm not really experienced in BDSM, but if I just kind of like, I know buzzwords, right? Like I can think, like I, I know, you know, tangentially enough to throw some buzzwords. And from that, if you kind of build your own image of what it would be like from kind of buzzwords and things, you know, that's what it felt like. It felt yeah. like you kind of like, you're like, all right, I'll do some research. Okay. All right. These things. And I'll just kind of build a narrative out of that instead of like actually, you know, having experienced those things probably. Yeah, I mean, I th- I think that in and of itself kind of at least for me sums up what what I read about this book is that the the whole thing feels like just sort of an amateur attempt to convey something that somebody doesn't even have a good grasp of, right? It feels like the kind of like bullshit paper you put together in college when you didn't read any of the material but you still have to complete you know your your essay for whatever assignment you've got going on and you throw out whatever you know menial understanding you have and you put in a lot of stupid fluff and you know it just this this book has a lot of criticism for a lot of different things and I've hounded on the writing and I feel terrible as a writer to like basically attack somebody else for their craft. There is certainly a segment of the population that is at least interested in this for, for whatever reason, or can overlook, you know, her abilities as, as a writer. Um, but there are some very real problems, I think with, with her like BDSM from, you know, what, what I've read and Emma green from, um, who's a staff writer at the Atlantic has a really good article from 2015, um, called uh, Consent Isn't Enough, The Troubling Sex of, of Fifty Shades. And she breaks down a lot of like the the criticism of, uh, you know, of the way that, that, you know, sex is depicted in this and kind of boils it down to it's not really BDSM, it's really abuse. And there there is a fine line there where the act is, like the enjoyment of the act isn't necessarily the act itself so much as it is the, the roles that people assume in, in that situation. Right. So Mm -hmm. it's not, it's not about inflicting actual harm on somebody. Um, but it's, it's about those, those roles that are, that are played. And yes, obviously there is a physiological, you know, component to that. Um, but there are ethical, you know, boundaries where, you know, this is your partner, right? Like whether it's a moment or, you know, long-term or, or whatever. And there's a lot of like, you know, trust going back and forth between people. Um, right. Even if that's just implicit and it seems like, and you, you might be able to, well, you will be able to better expound on this than, than I am. That It just, it just seems like 
she didn't quite understand the boundaries between abuse and BDSM and thereby kind of subverts the whole like sort of romantic, you know, erotic aspects of, of the novel by not even getting that part of it right. Right. It's just, it's, yeah, it more sort of takes on the form of like, oh, he's, he's had this trauma. So now he, instead of, you know, dealing with it and it's disguised and under this uh, guise of a BDSM when really he's just an asshole who likes fucking hitting people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Which is, I guess, like you said, it's, it's basically antithetical to, uh, what that type of situation, I guess, truly comes down to. And that's, again, yeah, it's your roles within your your roles in your partnership and how that is carried out in the privacy of your bedroom. Yeah. Or balcony or, you know, whatever. Back, backyard. Well, well yeah. shrubbed backyard. No, it can only be Dark done in pool. the privacy of your bedroom. Lights off, missionary only. <laughs> You have to shower immediately after. That's that's the way it goes. That's how us frisky folk do it. Oh Lord! All right, so I, I want to get to rating this book because I want to I want to pivot to like, to Tiger King. You dropped Tiger King. Where's yeah, my Tiger yeah. King? So let's rate these this book real quick, and then we talk. Yes. About Tiger King. Yeah. I'll go first. It was my book. Um, had I read this, uh, donate probably faster than imaginable. But since I did it audiobook. I had a I had a I had a, a a little fun time with it. So I'm actually gonna put the audiobook version of it on the bottom shelf. Listen to it, enjoy it, then never think about it again. Kind of kind of judging you as as a person right now for doing Here's the that. deal. Yeah, I know. I it, and here's the deal. I'm being a hypocrite because I've put a lot I've put basically everything that I've gotten rid of at this point has probably been better than it. But <laughs> including Philip Roth, let's Let's yeah, be honest. Basically, yeah. But you know what? I read that book, so it was, it was true. the book. And the show's on HBO right now, and I got to say, pretty good. And follows and the book extraordinarily like, closely. Oh, well, that's good. And like I yeah. said also at the at the opening of this episode, I think I'm just slowly becoming unhinged from this quarantine. Yeah. The lack of, the lack of sunlight, the lack of necessities. I really wanted to get a haircut. I've really like I've been growing my hair out, but now I've yeah. kind of have, like pivoted and wanted wanting to get a haircut and I really don't want to have to do it myself cuz my hair is long and styling it and getting it how it's going to be is going to be a madhouse and just everywhere's closed. I Unless will, they start cutting I hair break, Kroger. I will break quarantine and come over in full protective gear and my scuba tank if you'll let me give you a Joe Exotic haircut including the hair dye. I've never, I've never cut anybody's hair before. Let me just say that. Oof. Oof. So I have to look presentable at work still, but here's, here's what I will give you. Uh, I've already, we've already, uh, we've already got a family Halloween costume put together and I'm pretty sure I'm going to be Joe Exotic. So I'm actually, if I, if I don't get my hair cut in any time uh-huh. soon, if they don't open up any sort of like haircutting places because of quarantines, I'm just going to grow it out. And then when the time comes, we're going to like, we're straight up going to bleach it, mullet it up. And I'm going to go as Joe Exotic. So badass. Yeah. I'm, I'm in, I'm in support of this. I'm leaning into it. So obviously you're donating it. Yeah. Or yeah, setting it I, on fire. I don't know. What's it, what's past donate for you? I don't even know. I mean, sanction the publisher to, retract every copy that i don't it's it's Send bad to the gulags I, yeah i mean like i said earlier Send, i i hate the to, publishing company to force labor camps or something re-education 
We're going. We're going. We're going totalitarian on this publisher. <laughs> I just. I hate to. I hate to rag. Just on pile somebody. on. I, just I really, pile on. Really just do. pile no, on. I've, We've I've already, already done it all episode. I've, I've already. I've already piled on as as much as I can. But when when it comes down to just like reading in general, I mean, there are just too many good things out there um, to to spend your time, you know, reading something like this. From what I can tell, my my other reading outside of this, it just seems like it has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. And any that it might have in entertainment are also misplaced. So if you want to read like erotic fiction, I'm sure you could Google like much better like erotic fiction, right? So like I just I get it's like culturally significant in the sense that it's sold millions of copies and made a ton of money in movies and she we didn't even talk about how the fact that she is trying to squeeze blood from a turnip by now retelling the same shitty stories from the other character's perspective that's a cash grab it, it is grab. it is a shameless cash grab and i think frankly I'm, this is going to be probably the worst thing that i've ever said on this podcast i think that if any self-respecting writer took themselves seriously they wouldn't do what she's doing with those with those recasting of, of the of the story. So I, I just I don't take I don't take it seriously. I don't take her seriously. Um, and I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. So I'm really looking forward to So part of the reason I'm keeping this. I'm looking forward to the remainder, you know, in perpetuity when we're doing this podcast for any time you have an argument with me over something. About my opinion on something, you can be well. You kept Fifty Shades, so yeah. You know. Yeah, no, that's <laughs> clearly, clearly you're you're in the wrong here on yeah. whatever your opinion. You threw is. away, really you threw away Philip Roth, and you kept Fifty Shades. Hey, of I brought it back. Yeah, I brought yeah, it yeah. back. Yeah, yeah those yeah. were the early days. That was what that was like. Episode ten. I was I was just a young lad then. Yeah. Okay, I was an optimistic, idealistic young reading lad. Now I'm just. I'm just a, a piece of wood that's been smoothed down. There's nothing left. It's just a plank <laughs> that doesn't even go outside in the sun because of the quarantine. All right. Oh. So let's let's talk a little bit more about Tiger King because before we go though, I do wanna I do wanna plug ACX or I think it's ACX where they you know uh, if you're into erotic fiction, if you like this book or you want something similar, there's a lot of good stuff out there. I want to say it's like gay T-Rex law firm or no. What was that one that we, it was like a, it was a gay werewolf erotic. Yeah. Gay, it was gay werewolf. Yep. It literally exists. So give it a look. I, I honestly, for curiosity's sake, you know, we read like a chapter and it was, it was probably worse than 50 shades of gray, but it at least had a hook to it beyond just like, you know, Oh, you're rich and you're going to beat me. It was like, you're a werewolf and you're marking me as your property or territory. That's crazy. I want to be done with this book because, well, when I want to be done with it, because I didn't read it and I've said all I can say about it. Um, But I also think that there's an element of just like, just trashiness to this whole thing. And I I hate to say that because I want to be respective of people's like sexual preferences. But let's be honest, when you combine the writing with the subject matter in the way that it was done. This this isn't really a qualifying work of like erotic fiction in like representing that, you know. Now, here I I'm going to give you a moment to think about these claims you're about to make okay. because I love me some Tiger King. So, okay. if I think if if you're going to do what I think you're going to do, I'm okay. not going to be happy about it, okay? All right. So, my my other point 
or my pivot to Tiger King then was going to be we really like trashy TV in America. We like people who are like unhinged, who are emotionally just like untethered, unpredictable train wrecks. We don't understand like how people can be a certain way. And there are so many people in Tiger King that I think are, are like just this weird circus menagerie of, of caricatures. So at the end of the day, obviously right now it's a little different. At the end of the day, which do you think is going to be more culturally relevant, Fifty Shades of Grey or Tiger King? Man, that's that's rough. I feel like we, we move past TV so quickly that it's it's really hard to... It's true, really but here's, here's the deal. King. You kind of have this you kind of have this powder keg of things going on right now because yeah. everybody's at home, so they're forced to sort of live their lives through memes. And what's the most important yeah. thing in memes right now? Tiger King. Yeah, you're yeah. you're not wrong. I, it's it's uniting the country in in this sort of crazy you know upending sort of times, and people are all over the place. The one thing we can all agree on is that Carol Baskin killed her husband, and I'm really glad that the FBI reopened that case. Because it's a hundred percent, she she definitely killed her husband. Did they? I didn't see, I didn't hear about this. Yeah, apparently. So, Ooh, buddy. Ooh. Also, apparently, I don't know if it's true. I saw an article that Joe uh, Joe Exotic got the COVID in jail. Oh, bummer. So you know, I, I, if that's I true, that... if that's true, then I prayers out for Joe and a speedy recovery. Yeah. I only watch this because of the cultural phenomenon that it is during a period in which we are all going through this horrible thing. You had together. to understand the memes. You had to get the memes. Yeah. Um, I am like ashamed and baffled uh, by the show, like all at the same time, because I feel like so much of it like draws out some of the worst parts of, of America, like the the drug addiction, which was, I feel like, so undersold in in throughout most of the sure. series. And I know you can't just like, you know, draw that out, but I mean, holy cow, man. You had some serious methods on that show. And I it's just I think it's the it's the like the bad image that people have of America, right? Is are are like the GW Zoo types, right? They just think we're all running around like in the deep south bunch of bunch of rednecks shooting guns run run around on ATVs maybe not having tigers but Man, now they might I wish <laughs> I wish It'd be perfect I know I know I miss the days where people just thought we all rode horses and wore cowboy boots I'm just sad because I I could have had a tiger this whole time for like $2000 yeah. and that's a little bit disappointing to me I could have swore that I was like now nah, there's no chance it's like 20 50 grand probably Yeah do you Two think grand. that the the uh, tiger trade is booming this week, or will as soon as things get back to normal. No, you don't think so? No, probably not. Nah, probably not. So, who was the who was the real villain in the show for you? Was it Joe? Was it uh, old? Uh, it, was Jeff? Jeff. was it Jeff? I don't know. It was everyone. Uh, you know, here's the deal: when you kind of have like this whole cast of just seemingly not great people <laughs> i mean i guess i guess carol's is probably the least founded everyone kind of wants to pile on her for her husband and you know who knows but it's fun to make memes so we'll just say carol killed her sure, husband. sure. um then you've got joe who's just kind of completely unhinged uh jeff who seems to be kind of exploitative and and working to kind of pull that away from joe and then you have off of the corner you've got 
doc who just has a like his own harem of like brainwashed uh women slaves who work for like you know 150 bucks a week and that was you know that was the craziest thing to me is like all these like even at the at the zoo in oklahoma too it's like oh yeah they make like 120 bucks a week i'm like oh my god like yeah on on top of everything you're just it's like slave labor so and and i don't know everyone they get to pick their favorite meat from the discarded meat pile which is probably not in a refrigerated truck from whatever walmart you went and picked it it up from no, that was in like a that was in like a U-Haul. So. Yeah, I don't know. It makes me. It was one of those I finished in a single red, white, and blue tear poured down my cheek, and I thought, God damn it, I live in the best country in the world, and uh, I feel bad for everybody else for for not getting to experience the the greatness that that we got to experience just in that uh, Netflix documentary. But Whoa. like knowing that it's like knowing that it's like man, that's only. Because I'll it's tell you what, I've driven, through, I've driven through Oklahoma a ton, uh, and I swear I've, I've passed signs for that place over the last decade probably 40 or 50 times, and I never went, and I'm kicking myself for it now because it really <laughs> seems like it would have been life-altering for me. Yeah, but then you have the ethics of like doing that and then you know seeing the other side of things, and I feel like that was a little bit like underserved in the in the series a bit because it was the, the documentary, first of all, the documentary as a documentary I thought was, was very well done and, and was like the episodes. Yeah. The, the the way that they handled like the, the episodes and the subject matter and uh, just a bunch of different things I thought was, was really well done. I'd be a little bit surprised if that didn't win some awards just based on that. But you got so tied up in these like characters and the drama between them and the legal struggles and all that kind of stuff that the thing that, <laughs> that never was really talked about is the fucking animals. And like Joe had had that realization about, you know, his his chimpanzees at the at the end of the uh, series. And by the way, we're getting a surprise episode uh, this week, next week. I think it's next week. Um, just a little bonus. You you knew about that? No. Yes. No. Yeah, that's uh that was on the interwebs today. Um, I guess that Jeff dude said something on Instagram or Cameo. You know what Cameo is? Uh, I'm tangentially familiar with. Yeah, it. so you can basically like hire celebrities to like record a video or like make a phone call to somebody. Oh yeah 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 yeah. So I guess I think I'm like 99 percent sure that's where that that came from so i don't know maybe he's just he's bullshitting but um that's that's what i saw on the on the interwebs but um yeah i just i thought it was it was a little bit weird that like you everything revolved around these animals but so little of the subject matter had to actually do with their mistreatment their preservation the ethics of you know is is this is this right for you know us to go pet cubs right and uh Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like I, I kind of felt like there was a missing like call to action, if you will, at the end of the series. Do you think about that at all? Or were you just like, fuck yeah, Joe Exotic, my hero? Uh, I don't know if I would say Joe Exotic, my hero, uh, unironically. I mean, ironically, yeah, it's, I think Joe is a, a character. Mm-hmm. And so you just kind of want to ironically be like, good God, this man just, you cut him open and it's just red, white, and blue. But 
Uh, yeah, at the end of it, you're just kind of like, yeah, man, throughout this whole process, these poor animals who have just been stuck in captivity and forced to, you know, breed and serve a purpose beyond, you know, just living their lives. It's sad. Um, I did see that, uh, that some of the tigers did get rescued out to other places, but my biggest lingering question is really like Doc Antle. That guy to me is the craziest guy in that entire show. He clearly has his operations together. He is certifiably insane. He is a narcissist just along with everybody else. Uh, I'm, I'm so curious, like how he gets those women there. I have so many questions about Doc Antle. Uh, Who's not a doctor. I don't know why we call him Doc. He's a doctor of... He studied how to brainwash people into being his like, personal harem. It's so a weird. A little bit. I just... And how do those people get that way? Right? Like, at what point did he go, Hmm. I've got the personality to pull off a tiger farm and a harem. And my harem is going to take care of my tiger farm. Yeah, usually it's like one or the other. That's some evil genius shit, man. This whole thing's crazy. We're, we've gone fully off the rails. we got to talk about what's coming up on that, but we have yeah. to get back to books. We do have to get back to books. Next episode, episode 51, is going to be on uh, Maggie Smith's poetry collection called Good Bones. And uh, Maggie Smith is, has uh, been around um, as, a, as a poet for a while. She um, actually just provided some feedback for Christina Thatcher's new poetry collection. Her new collection, How to Carry Fire, was supposed to release... Actually, today, Christina's doing a, uh, a like a online launch party. Um, so if you just Google like stay at home literary festival, um, it is April 9th um, at noon central time. And she's going to read a little bit from how to carry fire and, and uh, do some Q&A stuff. But anyway, back to Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith read Christina's collection. And so then I came up with, hey, here's somebody I know of that I've never read. And we haven't done poetry since since last year, so yeah, it's but, uh, been a minute. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll talk through the collection a little bit. We'll talk probably a little bit about poetry just in general, and I kind of want to get your uh, your impression, Jacob, of you know kind of poetry and, and reading through it. When we had Christina on, it was you know a little bit different because obviously talking to somebody is different than talking about somebody's work. Um, sure, you know, so this will be this will be interesting to kind of have a discussion you and I just about poetry yeah. in general and, and what your impression is. It'll be is. the Poetry Caveman Part 2 Electric Boogaloo. Mm, it's going to be great. And then after that Episode 52, Back to Me, we're going to be reading The Devil in the White City by Eric Larson. Uh, murder, magic, and madness at the fair that changed America. That's what it says on the front cover. It's, uh, <laughs> I uh, So it's basically about H.H. Holmes and the architect behind the Chicago World's Fair. If you didn't know, H.H. Holmes is kind of like a prolific like serial killer, I guess. So he was cool. like, you know, using it as under the, the guise of this to, to kill people. So we're going to read about that. It's going to be fun. Murder Mansion. It's going to be like a murder dungeon mansion thing. You know, it's going to be fun. I've heard really good things about it. It's going to be fun. Yeah. I'm excited. I have not... I've not read any Eric Larson. I have a few books on my bookshelf that belong to my wife 
and uh, she is she's like some of uh, the other things that he has read so or he has written. So excited to read this one. I think it's going to be a good one. So next two episodes, Good Bones, Maggie Smith. Uh, that'll be episode 51 and then episode 52 will be the devil in the white city by Eric Larson. Episode 53 will be cave paintings by me after I've lost my mind from coronavirus quarantine. I'll be talking exclusively in third person by then. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode and until next time.